Your hosts are Jared and Jason, and you've arrived at, you know what it is, the after party. The crown winner of last week. Can you believe this, folks? We've had unbelievable weeks on uh, tap. Uh, first place goes to Dude Bro Moment, financially gifting $150. God bless you. What splendid princely munificence. $150 and some more munificence from No Why Guilt Clips. Financially gifting in second place. Can you believe second place? $50. I salute you both. Thank you so very much. Entropy will be up and running in a moment. Of course, you all know 15% a cost to you when you financially gift there. 15% a cost to you when you financially gift over on Odyssey. And uh, then no cost to you when you financially gift on Cash App. The URLs for all of those are in the description below. And as you know, here on the After Party, financial gifts are split. Jared and myself and our guests. Today we have on, you can see him on the screen. You should know him well. If you don't, I'm taking my belt off. It's Brand Danger <laughs> of School of the West and other white positive activism. He is on tap with us today. Brent, will you please tell folks who may not know who you are, what you do, who you are, where they can find you, and then uh, the most esteemed Mr. George will bring us into the start of this conversation. Uh, my name is Brant. I like long walks on the beach, butterflies <laughs> and puppy dogs. I'm sorry, that's, that's the wrong one. Uh, I uh, am the founder for the School of the West website. That's schoolofthewest.world. And what we do there is we bring in information that students would not normally get in public education. And specifically, there is material on there for the white well-being, the psychological white well-being of children of Western kind. All right. Well, Brent has been on a few times before, as Jason said. Hopefully, anyone who's been with us for a little bit knows who he is. School of the West is one of the most, I mean, there's amazing projects and with what everyone's doing, you can't say one's better than the other. There's different avenues everyone has to take. Um, but School of the West is up there as a list, one of the most ambitious and also practical and consequential projects. So Brent has given us an outline of a lot of the developments that have gone on since he's been teaching more regularly online and it's been expanding. So we are just really excited to give you the floor and we'll pepper in some questions along the way and everyone in the chat, you know, please, we'll keep an eye on it. But Brad, just take it away. Just give us the big update. Okay. Uh, I'll start with uh, a little bit of what's new on the website. On the homepage, there is a new section for uh, physical health, health and fitness, fitness and health, however you want to call it. There's a couple of sections on there. So we have uh, Fit and Healthy at Any Age. He's put together uh, an introductory yeah. introductory video on there about 10 healthy habits. So it's, it's an introduction for people that aren't used to taking care of themselves yet, how to get into that. And then uh, we also have a, an EMT uh, that is now on our School of the West team. And he put together... Uh, an amazing detailed series on anatomy and physiology. It's basically 
like a advanced high school university prep course for people who want to know more about this information and possibly go into work as an EMT, a nurse or a doctor. So it's, it's extremely informative. Uh, we also have uh, another. Well, let me just let me jump in really quick, if I could, Brant, just uh, fit and healthy at any age knows his stuff. Ladies, I, I can I can vouch he for that. Does. He knows his stuff. And uh, most of us, regrettably, are sedentary. And, and for most of us, it's not our fault that we end up that way. This society uh, instills this sort of mentality. And particularly for white people, when you hate yourself, why are you going to work to make that body and that health better when you're taught that it's just pure evil? Uh, so, Brent, if, if there's something from what Fit and Healthy at any age has shared there that you might like to share with the folks, that would be great. So if folks, if you're out there and you're wondering, how can I get off the couch? What are some of the things I can get started with? Uh, don't wait, don't hesitate and educate your children. That's what this is all about, Brant. Okay. Well, a couple of the basic things that he talks about is you need to get some sort of exercise every day. If you sit down all the time, it's bad for your body in a lot of different ways. So you can go walking, you can go gardening, go gardening. You can, you can garden if that's all that you can do. If there's a sport that you're inter interested in, play that sport. You need to get enough sleep. You need to drink enough water. He also talks about different types of foods to eat. And then also you've got to have a time during the day where you eliminate stress. Oh. Now what people may not realize about um, when, when you're meditating you can sit down in the traditional Buddhist style if you're going to meditate that way, or if you're doing something that you really, really like, you're also meditating when you're doing that. Okay. Right. If you're collecting stamps or you're at a batting cage, or if you're running 10 miles or whatever it is, you're, when you get into a meditation mode, you're getting rid of some of your stress. So it's just these basic fundamental things that we should observe as humans to become more healthy. So when we're, when he's talking about healthy, he's talking about, both physical health and mental health, because you need to have both, keeping that in balance. Precisely. That's fantastic. Please continue. Yeah. That okay. was cool. Yeah, it was cool hearing about the EMT thing and showing yeah. that you're expanding to different modes of education for different ages. Right. Well, as as people join the, the unofficial team, they're going to have specific interests and talents that are going to lend themselves or that knowledge is going to lend itself to different age groups. Some of it will be for youngsters. Some of it will be older kids. Sometimes it's going to be on that, that edge between uh, adult and university student. And whatever information they're willing to bring along, uh, I'd like to have because if information is being put out there for youngsters, the parents are seeing that as well. And right. if parents see something or older kids see something that they think right. is valuable, they're going to share that with their younger siblings or their offspring. Uh, on that note, just quickly, yes. is there anything that is able to be designed so that an older sibling could do the lesson with the younger sibling? And thus reinforcing it for the older sibling, of course, because I'm sure you know better than any of us. And when you teach something, that's the best way to learn it. Yeah, that can be designed. So depending upon how each person wants to present the material, it might come across as something that has an assessment at the end of it, a worksheet, a test, a quiz, or something like that. Now, if we do something, if we do something like that, if I have a, if I get a request from people to set something up so that it can be 
uh, learned by an older sibling and then represented to a younger sibling, uh, I can I can do that. And that's going to require assessments that are written at the younger sibling uh, level. So it becomes more complicated, but all, all of this is doable. So some of the stuff on the website is, okay, here's a lesson, and then here's the worksheet, and here's the right answers, and you need to do this. And some of the other stuff is, I'm just sitting and watching, and maybe I'm enjoying it, maybe I'm taking notes, maybe I'm just watching it because it's interesting, and I'm kind of learning passively. So there's, a, there's kind of a smidgen of all sorts of things on the website right now. Over time, some of that is going to get tightened, get tightened down, so it's set up more like formal classes. That just takes a really long time. It takes tons and tons of uh, man hours to do that. And over the past um, nine months or so, most of my attention has been spent, has been spent on teaching uh, live lessons. So I haven't been doing all that back-end work like I did the, during the first year. Yeah. So I'm going to have a little bit more time to work on that now. What was that experience like? Yeah, I think we, were, we spoke to you more when you were just wrapping up. But all these months actually teaching now and how, how is it giving uh, you great question feedback in terms of the direction you have now going forward? Uh, the feedback is very positive from the parents. I, I think that people are, they're, uh, they're very excited about this type of material being available for kids because, because, they either know specifically that that type of material should be taught or they know that there's something really, really wrong and they don't want their kids exposed to what's in public schools, but they don't know where to get this material, you know, giving to the, given to their kids, presented to, to, their, to their kids. So when they see what the School of the West is about, that's, that's very exciting for them. It's almost like, they it's too good to be true that this stuff is actually there someone actually or a team of people actually took the time to put this to curate this material yeah. and then put it together in lesson format and then give it to the kids right right and how is the actual experience of teaching given you some input that might have you know might have shaped how you're going to go forward or change maybe changed or amended what your original plans were what the possibilities right. are right um i haven't decided exactly how i feel about that yet because teaching online is different than teaching in a classroom you know about maybe 40 percent of the skills that you need to have inside of a classroom you use when you're teaching online because you, you you're not physically present with the children so you don't have the control over all the behavior of the children and keeping them on task etc however if you present material which is you know entertaining or engaging, they're going to be engaged with that anyway. Uh, part of it has to do with the engagement of the parents outside of class, and that has to do with getting material to them beforehand. Right. Now, in in, in this like, beta version of doing this, what these white well-being classes, I didn't always have all the work together uh, in a written format that I could give to the parents. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. And right now, what I'm doing. Uh, over the next month or so is writing um, basically like little little short stories, a little uh, nonfiction recaps of the history portions of what we went over. And then I'll send those to the parents and then they can give those to the kids and that will reinforce the material. Plus it'll be, uh, you know, reading for comprehension, vocabulary work, 
and there will be assessments at the end of that. So it'll be like reading worksheets, which in an ideal situation, if you're if you're an actual school district, you would have all, all that material done beforehand. Right. Right. And what about an overview of uh, what is available on the site, the kinds of lessons and subjects that you're delving into? You mean what is available on the home page and that you can you can yes. get into from there? Yes. Okay. So most of the material on there is going to be uh, passive learning where there's not necessarily assessments. There are assessments created as the authors of that material felt uh, you know competent or they had the time to create the assessments. Now, for the basic math and the English language arts there's always assessments with that because those are actually worksheets. Now, let's see here, history and culture. For the history and culture, I don't think there's any assessments on that yet. The science is mo mostly passive learning, but there are some online assessments with some of that, which is online quizzes. Of course, for the art, those are just art projects, so there's not uh, assessments there. And let's see. Will there be any kind of art history? There, there's gonna, <laughs> there will be eventually some, some art history as well, but the art history is going to be tied up in, in our history. So some of that might go into art or it might go into the history and culture section or it might right. go into both of those because there's right. going to be a lot of overlap with some of the material as, as it comes out later on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, I remember that, especially in high school. That was, uh, I don't know if either of you feel this way, but some of the most enjoyable memories I could think of back to school is when there was that overlap between different classes and this, things were kind of syncing up and yeah. uh, it, it could be very, you know, it could be very stimulating when you were doing similar time periods. And, and I think they, my school is pretty good about trying to time some of that with, especially between English and history, um, you know, go along similar timelines. And so we'd be reading literature from the era that we're learning about in history. And there was a, ping pong between the two subjects well jared if you had that in a school that means that the teachers were working well together because normally in uh, middle school and high school you know the different departments they don't have any yeah. overlap between them right. so they might be on completely different timelines so mm -hmm. that shows that you had some some competent teachers if they were doing that and i think that is the best way to learn that's more holistic and that's that reflects reality because as we go through mm -hmm. our lives we don't just like, okay, I'm going to work on a math problem right now just because I love math and it has nothing to do with doing my taxes or how much gas I have to buy or anything else. Everything yeah. is, is, is linked to everything else. That, that's the classic complaint that kids have, I'm sure you know, and I think we've all been there. And I appreciate that. You know, I like that word holistic. But the complaint that kids often have is, what am I going to use this for once I leave? They don't it's hard to be passionate about something if you don't really see the meaning in it or the, how it connects to other things. And yeah, it, I think there's a lot to that. Right. And we could get a it lot is. more out of our education system if we were more aware of that. Yeah, it is. And for example, if I'm teaching earth and space science and there's a girl in my class and she says that when she gets out of high school, she's going to go work at Burger King. Why does she need to learn about earth and space science? Why does she need to learn about nuclear fusion in the sun? Okay, sometimes there's not a good answer for that. I'll just say to her, uh, well, some people just like to learn. 
you don't you don't know when you're going to use this stuff later on down the line you're not that old okay you're just a biscuit old so you don't really don't know what's going to happen yet and also the state tells us that we have to teach that to you so sometimes you're just forced to do things so right now this is one of those things that you're forced to do right. it's not like you're here to be entertained all the time when you're in school this is a learning environment just like when your parents made you eat vegetables when you were a kid, you didn't get to eat candy all day. There's a reason why you have to eat your vegetables. You just, sometimes you just have to be quiet and pay attention. Yeah, yeah. And so I like the theory too, the idea too, that it's good to learn how to learn so that you can yeah. apply it to other things in your life. Maybe that girl's not interested in the nuclear fusion that goes on in the sun, <laughs> but it can help her relate to something else that she does care more about, or at least get the skills so that when she wants to learn something, she'd be more self-sufficient. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have to tell you, but I'm and just we'll, reciting this for the record. One of the best answers as well that I also go to is I'll say, Hey, you might be on a game show one day. And if you can answer this science question correctly, you're going to get, you know, I don't know, $10 million. And if you don't, you get nothing. So are you going to pay attention now? Like you don't know <laughs> when you're going to use this information. What is, and I know we've, of course, we've spoken about some of this when Brant was on in the past. You could, we always encourage you to look up past episodes with our guests. But what is in the white well-being unit that we saw up top? Oh, for that one there? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's divide it up into a couple different pages. So, Jason, if you want to just click on one of those, I'll, I'll briefly talk about that. Now, okay. this information on these pages hasn't been updated uh, in a while, and that's something that I'm going to be doing over the next month. So, Jason, if you can scroll down. Yeah. Let's see what we have here. So these are these are just introductory videos uh, right here. The two, the two on top are introductory videos, and then the one on the bottom is a slideshow put together by uh, Althea Promethea, and she's also um, introducing some of these concepts, the go-free concepts. So this is just an introduction for kids, for adults to use this with their kids. That's what's on this youth section right here. And on the teen section for white well-being, it goes into a little bit more detail. There are videos on propaganda. And then also there, after that, there's videos on looking at uh, white propaganda within movies. There's some that Devin Stack did. And then there's one that I put in the one that Jason did on the Northman as well. Nice. Now, infinite amount of time, I would go through other material that people have put together and, and, and put some more edited versions of this stuff on here. I talked to Devin Seck about putting his stuff on here, and he's, he's cool with that. The problem is, is he likes to drop, drop the F-bomb frequently in all of his work now. So it's not really appropriate for children. Plus, it's, it's, not, it's not focused on... Uh, a specific TV program or movie. It's kind of all over the place. So it would have to be edited. And then yeah. this is a, an introductory video here that uh, Final Blossom put together uh, sometime last year. So that'd be like an introduction to people like go free. What does that mean? Why are we doing that? So these pages are going to have some work done to them over this summer. And also either on this page or another one, or I haven't figured out where I'm going to put it yet. I'm, I'm going to put a page in here um, about it just, it feels good to be white, but I'm not going to call it that because that's a really weird title. So it, it's going to be uh, poetry. It's going to be music. It's going to be some of the videos that you guys have put together. It's going to be recommendations for different types of uh, movies that promote white well-being. 
because people lament, uh, you know, everything is crappy, blah, blah, you know, it's so diverse, anti-white, et cetera. Well, there's tons of material that's been out there. You know, we've been producing stuff for a long time. So if we, if we have one place where parents can go to and they can choose something that they want to read or watch or whatever with their kids, it's right there on this, on this one page. Right, right. So that's something that's have... been... Go ahead. No, go ahead. You were about to it's say something. something that's been in the back of my mind for a while. And I have, I've been taking notes over the past year of what I want to add onto that. I just haven't had time to create that yet. I was just going to say, let's go a little further back in your mind. And what is, what is the best case scenario? Like when you dream big about this, is there something where there'd be say a library of analysis of popular media from the last few decades, like, certain big TV franchises or movies that are critiqued yeah. through a lens of pointing out the anti-white propaganda? Yes. I, yeah, I think that would be perfect. I would like to do that. Again, if I had an infinite amount of time, I would be doing that. And there are already videos existing on the, on the interwebs, which is a series of tubes, uh, that if people can get their hands on, uh, they can edit those, and then that can be presented just like you're talking about. Because the first person that I saw doing that specifically was Devin Stack, a.k.a. Blackfield. So he did that with movies, and then he branched off and did that with a lot of television programs, especially programs from uh, a little bit from 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, showing us how this anti-white propaganda was leaking into these uh, programs that were so, uh, so famous, so uh, watched. And a lot of times what would happen was you wouldn't be seeing this, this anti-white theme in the, in the show. People would get hooked, a lot of viewership, and then they do this thing where it's a special two-hour episode of Family Ties or, you know, whatever, you know, leave it, you know, leave it to Beaver redone. And, you know, they have to fight against, you know, the, the evil racist move in across the street. Oh, my, what's going to happen with that? We, we've all got to hold hands and come together and fight against this. And they would just push the stuff on purpose. So what uh, Blackpill did was go through these things and, and analyze them in much the same vein that, that Jason does when he reviews something. Right. Right. And the switching to the history lessons a little bit or the folklore stories, I saw in your bullet points that you gave us that you specifically mentioned King Arthur and Beowulf. And I'm curious if you have any specific reasons as to why out of all the different touch points from European folklore that you wanted to start, make sure that those two were in there from the beginning. Because they're cool. <laughs> well, what I, what I did with the, with the youth classes is I started with the, with Greece explaining what the Hellenistic world was and then the Greco-Persian wars how the different city-states came together. And then they kind of morphed into the Roman Republic and Roman Empire. And I, and I dealt specifically, or I zeroed in on Julius Caesar's lifetime, you know, because that's the bridge between the Republic and the Empire. And he's one of the most you know, fascinating characters in history. And I wanted to, you know, keep going past the fall of the Roman Empire. And I thought, well, what are some, what are some major points that I can use to teach with, and they're also interesting. They would also be 
engaging for students, which were most, most of them were, were boys, like boys between the ages of like three and 10 was my, was my audience for this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was impressed when I was in school with the story of Beowulf because I had I had a good copy of that, and then uh, Lamor D'Arthur. I remember reading that after I read Lamor D'Arthur the first time. I probably read it like a couple more times right after that because I love those stories. Mm -hmm. So I, I know what engages boys. So that's why I introduce those stories. And when you introduce when you introduce a story that has a political or sorry a, a historical context to it. You're talking about people who live in a, a specific geographic area in a specific time. They have a specific technology. Their society is structured a certain way. They're going to have a certain language. You might be able to show them the, the alphabet or the runes if they're using runes. Uh, and then also what I think is important is these stories show the difference between men and women. They show, you know, quote, what a real man would do or what a man with courage would do or, you know, people who are sacrificing themselves for others or people who are carrying out a duty, people who are scared to do something and they get it done anyway. So not only are they set in, in a historical context and they're interesting, but they also, the main characters serve as role models for the students. Right. Right. Perfect. Awesome. And also, I mean, you could expand on Beowulf's, uh, history in the English language being the earliest written yeah. document that we have in, well, what was it at that point? Middle English? What, or was it still Old English that it was written in? I, I, I recall it being described as Middle English, but I'm not an expert. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously what we have is still based on something even older. But I do remember that opening up English class for me in high school, which was pretty cool. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think it's I think it's cool too, and you know, it's it's unrecognizable whether they call it Old English or Middle English. Yes, yes, yeah. I remember having to take a look at some of it. What about the? I'm seeing too that you have foundations of the English-speaking diaspora, the Anglophone world, like our own United States, and then Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Rhodesia. Um, any common theme that you hit on amongst all of those? to kind of counter the mainstream anti-white narrative and how kids are presented that right now? Well, a lot of these kids are exclusively homeschooled. Some of them are in public school. And then uh, I work with, uh, I work with them a couple days a week after that. And for the kids that are exclusively homeschooled, they're not getting that anti-white narrative about the diaspora. Uh, you know, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Rhodesia, you know, U.S. and other countries in North America. So my approach to that was to give the facts as plainly as possible, like um, without going into a lot of detail about dates, because kids don't necessarily need to know what the, the date is. A couple hundred years ago, 400 years ago, that's close enough. Right. Uh, what's more important is telling them this is what our people were doing in Europe at this time. Therefore, they had these types of weapons. They wanted to get certain types of goods of the planet, these types of ships, and they as as our navies or something. And then they would go to different areas around the planet. And when they would go to different areas around the planet, 
Um, there would be conflict sometimes. There would be alliances sometimes. Sometimes they would be betrayed by the locals. And there was always some type of misunderstandings because they spoke different languages and they had different sets of rules. The white people had ideas of ownership, ownership of ownership of, and you, you pay or barter for things and then you own where the people, you know, bits of land, the Koi, uh, in South Africa, or Maori in New Zealand, or you have some, um, in, in Australia, you have American Indians in the, the U.S. They're more nomadic. They have a common way of thinking about mm -hmm. things. There's a huge discrepancy between technology. One of the things that I push is that, look, if you merge these people together, almost never, ever work. It's like oil and water. If you're trying to mix oil and water and you're blending it all the time, it looks like because you're always putting a lot of effort in there. You take it operates. So trying to do is is not necessarily say someone is good, someone is bad guys. That this is just the way that things were done back then. All then there was slavery all over the place. All kinds of different colored people had different colored people as slaves or the same colored people, whatever. So in the places where there's slavery, they're going to be bringing slaves with them. Or if there's conflict. One tribe or one group of people might take slaves from the other group, or they might kill them, or they might do something else. So there's so these these conflicts are, are set up as you have these different worlds colliding. So what I did with these countries was um, try to give an idea of we expanded into different lands and also let them know where we are or where we were on the planet. Because when you're a little kid, you basically don't know diddly squat about what anything looks like for the most part. You don't know that this, the outline of your state, that's not, that's not your country. That's just the state you live in because you've got the state and it sits inside of this and in this hemisphere and this continent, et cetera. So I want to give them a little bit of a feel for geography and give them mm. a bit of a feel for the reason we were able to expand is the type of uh, ships we were able to build and our desire to go to different areas. And part of the, Part of the, the foundational psychology of Western kind is a curiosity and uh, uh, a, a bravery to go out where you haven't been before. It doesn't matter how hard it's going to be. It doesn't matter how scary it's going to be. It doesn't matter if you're going to fall off the end of the planet. It doesn't matter if you're going to be outnumbered, you know, a thousand to one. You just go do it anyway. So that's one of the reasons why I did that. Uh, do you have a question? If not, I'll just I'll say something else. About no, that, that's, that's great. Um, I think we all want to hear what you have to say next. <laughs> okay. Yeah, me too. So a couple <laughs> of these countries, as, as I researched them, I became extremely fascinated by their foundational stories, and that's South Africa and Rhodesia. So when I was a kid, I, I knew absolutely nothing about them. And then when I was a young adult... As you do, you watch some movies, you see Lethal Weapon 2 and all of these really mean blonde South Africans. Oh, God, they're so horrible. They're just going to just slaughter everyone that's not, you know, pure you know, Aryan phenotype. Right. Think, well, I guess the South Africans are bad guys. And then I hear the, that Nelson Man, great guy. Wow, that's great. Hey, South Africa, well done. Good job, guys. I'm glad everything's cool down there. 
has nothing has nothing to do with reality. So if someone wanted to make a movie about Southern Rhodesia and just just tell the truth, it would be unbelievably interesting. And South Africa and Rhodesia microcosms of what Western kind is facing now, because you have deep seated, unresolved racial conflicts that didn't have to go as bad as they did. You have mistakes, some mistakes made by Western kind where they could have done things better. You have different sections of Western kind screwing over another section. Usually it's the British empire that's screwing over someone else. Yeah. Uh, and then you have, you have private companies such as the private companies of uh, Cecil Rhodes, um, setting up, uh, mining operations in what became Rhodesia and in, in the country of Rhodesia, you have in about 70 years, this first world nation built by Western kind, boom, mm. you have Africa. And then seven years later, you have the first world nation. That's pretty freaking incredible. Uh, but at the same time, you have kind of a two-tier system between the whites and the blacks. With the Rhodesian army, you would think, oh, is this just a bunch of whites that are, that are oppressing the blacks? Well, the blacks outnumbered the whites in the Rhodesian army, or the Rhodesian armed forces, seven to one. So it's not like they had, they had a horrible life. But over time, some of them looked around and said, well, you know, we used to be running around with some, you know, some spears, some basic implements. We lived in mud huts. Some of us had cattle. But now, and there's all of these objects, there's all of these things to have. And this white guy over here got a bigger house. And he also has a car. And this one has this thing. And this one has this thing. And I want to have those things now. And this other guy, some of these guys that aren't in our government, and they're actually under arrest right now, they're in charge of these two different tribes. They say to us, if we rise up and we take over this country, we, you know, kill the whites or whatever, we torture them, we kill some of our, we kill some of the blacks, and then go along with it. We're going to get all of this stuff. We get to have everything. So let's go do that. So it's extremely com it's extremely complex. Um, the thing that was most interesting about Rhodesia is that, as I saw the documentaries and I listened to the patriotic songs that, that were done, and I watched the speeches from Ian Smith, who was uh, the prime minister. Um, there's a tremendous amount of camaraderie and teamwork inside of Rhodesia that I've never seen in a white country before, ever. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and I, 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 I don't want to cut you up, but we're getting a little audio. It's getting muffled. I don't know if you need to reset something. I don't know if it was just on my end, but then I saw someone say it in the chat as well. I was doing that on purpose. Yeah, perfect. Uh, now, that's, yeah, that's a lot better. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll just talk a little bit slower. Anyway, I, I was starting to meander all over the place. Basically, Rhodesia was extremely interesting story. Tremendous amount of camaraderie and teamwork, and not just between the, the whites, but the whites and the blacks. They were all on the same side together. Now, another thing there, which is you have to have resolved, is most of the blacks did not have the vote. The whites had the vote because the whites said, look, we came here. There were, there were fights between different tribes and between the British settlers. We built this country. We know how to run it. If you start, if you vote, you're going to vote in your own people and everything is going to go to hell. We don't want you to, we don't want that to happen. So they were fighting to keep 
their power and their control of the country that they built. Some of the blacks were okay with it. Some of the blacks were not okay with it. However, the anti-white ideology among the rest of the Western nations was against it. So there was almost unanimous world sanctions against Rhodesia. And the Soviet Union and China trained, funded, and gave equipment and ammunition to these terrorists, which kept pouring over the border into Rhodesia, killing nuns, killing priests, uh, killing uh, peaceful black tribes, killing white farmers, just nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. So you had this almost this military, extremely tight, cohesive country of age, they went into one section of the Rhodesian armed forces or the armed or the police. And then they, they literally, they actually fought to protect their country. They actually, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, you know, hollow words like we get from our, our leaders here. Right. So that, that's thing. And we're betrayed by Britain and everyone else. South Africa helped them for a little bit, helped them for a little bit. Portugal fell when Portugal fell where they had when they they lost Mozambique. So now there were even more borders that were now uh, porous to Rhodesia there. And the last um, you know, straw that broke the camel's back was that South Africa eventually stopped helping Rhodesia as well because they got they got pressure from other countries. And mm -hmm. of course, South Africa was on its way to ending its apartheid. So apartheid, um, you know, what's good about it, what's bad about it, you only hear one side of it. So, of course, you have, you have no way of knowing what actually happened because our media only portrays the, the anti-white narrative. Now, the truth isn't the opposite of the anti-white narrative necessarily. It's extremely complex, and it's issues that have still not been resolved to this day. But what's important about Rhodesia and South Africa is if you can look at those two countries and understand their conflicts, understand how complex it was, then as a people, we can grow up and be adults and say, look, this is really actually extremely complex. We can't be uh, childish about this. Uh, we can't be ignorant because if you're childish or you're ignorant or you want to bury your head in the sand, the problems are going to come along and bite you in the butt. All right. And Zimbabwe is a giant mess right now. And South Africa is, is slowly turning into a mess. Okay. And there's all sorts of issues going on. The issues that the Rhodesians said would happen, happened there. And the issues that some of the, the white South Africans said would happen, it's happening there. Of course, the world press, where's, where's the, the anti-white press? What do they have to say about it? Nothing. Nothing. care less. But we need to know about these things. So the reason that I went off on this huge tangent I hope everyone's asleep by now. No, is that not, gonna, I'm going to have a specific uh, course on Rhodesia and one on South Africa. Now, I may not do that as live classes. The first thing that I want to do is just put together uh, units and I'll put them as, as a series of videos and then I can put assessments on there as well. So, you know, students can watch them and then they can they can self-assess as, as they go along. Because I think the information is so important, the stories are so interesting that our people should know about this. Well, this dovetails with another thing that you had put in the bullet points: critical thinking. And I mean, I appreciate the nuance that you're bringing to this, and you know, it seems like that's an umbrella 
a guiding principle is that you want to, in our Western tradition, you know, present that um, multifaceted and harmonized way of thinking and looking at things multidimensionally. Which, unfortunately, I mean, we're I know we're we all know we're up against a lot because we're currently in a society where. I, you know, I don't think anything's bad in and of itself as much as it's easy to complain about social media. There's a lot of amazing things about social media, uh, but it still tends to this lowest common denominator type of thing where there's not any kind of real discourse. And it's sometimes I think about, and I'm curious if you guys do as well, you know, where that noble Western strain of that healthy debate and really picking things apart in the way that needs to be like you're saying brant in an adult way how what that's going to look like or what path like what's the outlet for it like water seeking the path of least resistance in this day and age of sound bites and memes well i think that it it's got to be developed somewhere we have to have our own little our own little bubble where that starts and then that can that that can grow so it could start on a website like that um it can start with with people that are content creators and they have people on specifically to address issues in an adult and sober format there's not very much out there because it's not sexy and attractive to people let's talk about the actual facts and talk about this like adults no, I don't want to do that. That's not, you know, that's not cool. I want to, I want to insult people and I want to use, I don't know, slang language. And I want to see the blood sports and uh, I don't know, all this goofy nonsense. So it, it takes a certain amount of maturity and it takes a desire to seek the truth. And uh, it, it takes like a, a, a wisdom to understand that moving towards a sober discussion is the only way that you can get clarity eventually on what you want to do on what is the best course of action what how do we actually understand a historical event okay so for example with rhodesia again if the whites only have the of the vote they're going to be able to mean rhodesia that high standard of living for everyone that they have no problem okay all right but I think to myself, okay, what if I'm, what if I'm a Matabili tribesman, all right, and my ancestors have lived in this part of Africa for a long time, and now there's white people here. Well, this is my land. Why are they here? And they built this country, or maybe I'm going to pretend that I built it too, and I don't get to vote. Well, I'm pissed off about that. Well, it's not fair to that black person. It's also not fair to a white person who's built Rhodesia. So. There's two people right next to each other. It's not fair. If we ignore that problem, it's going to fester. It always festers. Okay. So what I want to do with the critical thinking class is present, is present different scenarios that can be actual scenarios. They can be fictional scenarios. They can be very simplified for children and then say, what is the best course of action here? If we decide to do option A, is everyone going to be happy? Or what about option B, C, et cetera? Or is there no solution? Or does everyone have to just get away from each other in this case? Because presented 
these little uh, cookie cutter, simplistic versions of history in public school. Okay, George Washington, he chopped down the cherry tree. He said the British are coming. He rode around on a horse uh, and then they shot some British and then they surrendered and that was pretty cool. And then Ben Franklin made the printing press and he flew a kite. Okay, now let's go to the next unit. Bing, 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 bing. Well, you can memor memorize a few facts in an, in an outline format, but you really have no idea in hell what happened. You don't know right. why these people did these things. And that's a problem with studying history is it, it's, it, it is extremely complex. There is no end to it because you can always go back before what you're studying and say, well, this happened, which, which made this happen right here. Well, what made this happen? Well, we got to go further back here. And not only are you going back in time, but you're going back in, in different geographic places all over the planet. So it takes, if you want to be serious about studying history, cause and effect, it takes a long time to set that up. And, and it takes people that are serious about it to put it together. Which is what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, again, it speaks to listening to this, everybody, you know, the ambition of this. Uh, it's quite, you know, quite remarkable, the kind of thing that you're doing. Anything else you want to share before we get to maybe some chat questions about just what you want people to know, any news or things to look forward to in the near future? <laughs> uh, well, there are the memberships right now for the summertime are closed. Membership basically means you sign up and then you can uh, take part in online classes. So those won't open up again until next fall. I don't know what my schedule will be for that yet. If I don't offer live classes, then like I said, there will at least be some series that people can go through on their own and um, learn that way. If I have just a tiny bit of time and people really want some help, like one-on-one -on -one tutoring, I might be open to that. Maybe not. I don't know. So I don't know what my schedule will, will be yet. The school is going to keep becoming more robust as we go along, slightly more organized. It's not anywhere near the amount of organization. It doesn't have anywhere near the amount of organization that I want to have in it yet. Because if a, if a, a parent wants to homeschool and they go to the site, well, there's kind of just stuff all over the place. Like, I'm not sure what to do. For some people, that might be okay. For me, if I was a parent and I saw that, I'd think, well, I can use this a little bit, but I need to use a lot of other sites as well. And I also need to go to my uh, state uh, Department of Education to see what the standards are so I can follow along. So there's a lot of uh, work along those lines that I want to fill the, the site in with. It just hasn't got done yet, and I'm sure. working with other people on that. Uh, also, I'll say one other thing. People who want to help or they want to get involved, if they have a part, if there is a part of history that they're very interested in, I, mean, I can I can always use that. We can piece things together. Eventually, I want to have a very, very long continuum timeline of, of history. And it's going to the the history uh, material itself is going to be produced by a lot of different people. So it's going to be a bit different, but at least they can go to different timelines or different events and it'll be sliced up and they can they can learn about that one way or another. And it's not going to be presented in the anti-white narrative, which is the best thing about it. So yeah, if well. people are, it, go ahead. I was just saying yes. Okay. Yes. So yes, yes, cheering you on. There's, there's, yeah. There's history. Look at that baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, the baby. <laughs> so yeah. 
that, so that's, that's a useful meme. <laughs> yeah. So there's history. And if people want to create any type of art projects, it doesn't have to necessarily be white well-being art project. It can just be about anything. Um, I, can, I can use that. And the other section where I have some people working on some things will be the self-reliance section that I haven't put on the, the main page yet. So yeah, baking or farming or repairing stuff or doing things around the house or, I don't know, raising some chickens or how to tie a knot or, you know, fishing, you know, that type of stuff, just basic skills that, that make your life better, make you more self-reliant as a person. Um, I'm going to be making, uh, or putting together a section on that. You know, there's a lot of stuff online. Like if you want to change the alternator on your, I don't know, 2014 Chevy Cavalier, you can look that up and work, get in there and, you know, change an alternator. But if people want to do anything along those lines, I can put that on there. And people don't have to necessarily know how to edit stuff. You can film yourself making something. Like I have someone who's working on uh, knitting, showing how to start knitting and do diff different knitting projects. It can just be a video of that. Later on, you can do a voiceover. I can take it and I can edit it. I can do different things. So if you can film yourself or your hands doing something, we can work with that. It doesn't have to be special or fancy or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, See, it, it, I mean, this is a kind of an on the fly question that just came to me. Any, any kind of like very nebulous maybe, but plans or thoughts or musings you've had about something that is eventually more specific for kids who have spent part of their lives in mainstream education and a critique of the kind of mainstream education that they got. Like, here's what you were taught in school. Mm. Here's why you were taught it. Here are the blind spots that they didn't give you. We're going to fill in the blanks. Yeah, that would go in. Um, well, for now, if I when I create that, that would go under the, the critical thinking class, or the critical thinking uh, unit because it would juxtapose what they're what they're getting from one source and what i'm presenting as a source okay and another thing that i'll talk about in the critical thinking is look and i've said this before like your kids right now you don't have any other choice than to believe some adults you've got to believe mom and dad because they're keeping you alive so you better believe them okay i would do that first you might believe your teachers your your police officers your pastor your doctor all these other things. But there's going to become a time when you're going to grow up and you're going to have to decide these things for yourself. You're going to have to decide were these people telling me the truth or not. Even the things that I say. If I say things and you believe it, that's great. It doesn't mean that you doesn't mean you have to believe it forever. Go and research this for yourself. But if I say this to the kids, I have to teach them, well, how can you research things? What is a primary source? What is a secondary source? What is hearsay? How do we know what happened in the past? How close can we get to what happened in the past? Because we don't know 100% what happened in the past because we're not living back there. We don't have time machines. So we get close to understanding what happened in the past. If we want to know more than that, our imaginations have to fill that in or we have to pull information from different areas. So if someone tells you something like, you know, Julius Caesar and his third battle before Elysia as he, you know, approached this certain tribe, 
this is what he was thinking and he was remembering what he had for breakfast and he remembered back like, no, that's a bunch of nonsense. People are making this stuff up. So if they want to embellish stuff, that's fine. But I want the kids to be able to understand the difference. Okay. And it's part of critical thinking. What is fact and what is probable and what is just completely made up? Oh, I want to say one other thing, Jared. In the 90s, Ricky Gervais made a movie called The Invention of Lying. And the premise of the movie was that no one knew how to lie. Everyone mm -hmm. always told the truth. Yeah, I've, seen, that, Gervais, I've okay. seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And Ricky Gervais's character, he got the idea one day to not tell the truth. And I, I think it was maybe in the bank. He said that he had so much money. And so they and so they said, Oh, here you go. Here's all them, here's your money. So then he thought, wow, I can do this all the time. So he was the only person that knew how to lie. So the 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 reason that I'm talking about this is it worked on everyone else because they didn't know what a lie was. He could say the most outlandish stuff and they believed it. And so it's it's a funny premise as, as we're watching it. But I think too much of Western kind for too long has believed all the lies that we've been fed. And a lot of it was we weren't in a position of, of strength. We weren't in a position of understanding that we were going to be lied to. We were trusting the people that were giving us this information. And there's there's other people on the planet <laughs> that aren't part of Western kind that might take advantage of that. And they have taken advantage of that. And so I want people to understand, let's start, let's start identifying these things. Let's learn from these experiences. Okay. Because once we start to be able to, to figure out when we're being lied to and when we're not being lied to, once we become, become savvy, that gives us a lot more uh, leverage. We don't have to keep, we're not rocked back on our heels all the time. Okay? We can start coalescing. Brad, I always appreciate speaking to you, but today something clicked a little deeper. I really see you're born to be an educator, and my hat's off yeah. to you, man. Thanks. It's my autism. <laughs> I second. I second. High function. Very high functioning. <laughs> well said, Jared. Absolutely. We do have a question uh, from the great Elaine Sabatino, another champion in service to white well-being. She wants to know. Uh, about varying standards, I guess, for homeschooling from state to state and how that plays into or does not play into what you do and how you intersect with homeschooling or traditional schooling, public or private schooling, and how School of the West intersects there as well. Well, there's a lot of uh, schooling in that question. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the pages that has started being built uh, about a year and a half ago, and it's kind of halfway done, and I'm going to try and push push that along is a page which gives parents a link to every state in the u.s and the um the regulations for homeschooling because nice. it's different from state to state some states are very difficult you have to jump through a lot of hoops but it can still be done and some states are very lax some states are almost like hey i'm gonna homeschool bye guys yeah. uh some states you have to you have to uh fill in paperwork initially you have to lay down uh, what your what your content is going to be. You have to state what your assessments are going to be. You have to put, turn in progress reports every so often. Like the state of New York is pretty much the worst. Uh, they're, they're pretty strict with that. And then some states make it fairly easy to find their regulations online. And some states will hide it down under levels and levels and levels of their state website. So they make it difficult for you. So that's a very good question, Elaine. Now, as far as state standards go, they're pretty much the same across all the states. 
there, there, there'll be slight variations. Most of the variations are actually in history classes because states will teach their own state history. Uh, the thing that's going to be really different is when you get the, the anti-whites, say, in Virginia or California, where they want to start taking higher math out of the curriculum mm. because it's mean to make some people do their math correctly. Uh, that, that kind of stuff, I don't pay, I'm not going to pay any attention to. That's just some childish nonsense. I, I don't care. And people who homeschool, they've got no time for that nonsense either. So most of the standards are pretty much the same. Science is the same. Reading is the same. Math is the same. There'll be little nuances. I wouldn't worry about anyone who's, who's thinking about homeschooling, about getting every little detail just right. Um, the, the only thing that you would need to do is look at the state website and they will tell you what standards have to be taught by the end of each grade or what standards have to be taught at the midpoint and the end of each grade, something along those lines. So there was one parent that I was working with in that respect with Heidi Van Buskirk uh, for the state of New York, because there's a lot of things you need to, to jump through for that. So I hope I answered that question. I think you did. Uh, we have a financial gift, a big one. Get your raucous emojis together in your 07s for Maki. It went beyond the $20 mark, $25 financial gift. God bless you, brother. He writes with that $25, whites built South Africa and Rhodesia, correct? Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, when it comes to all of these Western countries, it, it's absolutely amazing. And thank you so much for the question and the financial gift, brother. Uh, it's always amazing and a demonstration of how sick our people are that you can actually say to uh, white Canadians, for example, uh, who built Canada? And they'll name a, several non-white races and not the white race. Uh, they'll, you could do that in the United States. It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. We have the great, keep the raucous emojis, please, folks. And the uh, 07s saluting no white guild clips, a true champion among champions. $30 financial gift over here on Cash App as well. $30. And he writes, Brand answered the question I had. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> We appreciate that. But we're getting close to tapping out, and it uh, looks like uh, we're blank over on Entropy and Odyssey. So I really quickly want to ask Brant about this. Uh, what he wants to say about Tragedy of America? And uh, and with that, his final thoughts, and, uh, and then where folks can find him and where they can help. I want to throw this in there, too, that... Uh, if adults would like to, adults in the, in the white positive adults, folks who are going free, would like to participate in one of your classes in order to give feedback, can they do that? And how would they do that? Floor is yours. Yeah. Uh, well, when I was doing the online classes, there's a secure way that I would send the link for each class right before the class would start. So it was my assumption that either you're going to have some parents there or they're going to be they're going to be listening or they can even log in. Like if they're at work, sometimes I'll have some parents, they'll log in at work and they'll be in class for a little bit. Cool. You know, they can just listen in or they can participate. And I, and I tell parents at the beginning, it would be better if you do participate. Now, sometimes parents will do this because 
they're really busy, just like just like in public school, it's babysitting for a little bit where they don't have to be right on top of the kid. The kid's going to be in front of something and I'm going to be talking to them. They don't have to worry about the kid. Right. So, you know, parents can participate in the in the live classes. It'd be totally inappropriate if someone says they want to talk to your kid online and they want you to go away so they can just talk to the kid. Right. No, like don't. No, no, no. Don't even start with that. Uh, now, when I put together a series, of course, anything that's on the website, I expect that parents are going to be encountering that first, and then they're going to decide what they want their kids to do, what they want their kids to you know, study, you know, look into, et cetera, unless they're really familiar with the website, they're comfortable with it, and then they just let their kids just like, okay, go over, go over the website, do whatever you want to do right there. Now, Jason, what you uh, mentioned right there is the tragedy of America. I'm also going to have a little unit about that. It's going to be a little series. And I got the idea for the tragedy of America with the conversation that I had with Mark Weber. And in our, in our talk, he, he only used that term one time. But it really, and I, I took notes on our conversation that we had, and it really stuck with me. And he called it the tragedy of America because America could have been so much more than what it is. Yeah. It's like a huge, huge squandered, wasted opportunity. Yeah. And part of what he was talking about in our, in our conversation is that um, sometimes there's been this, this myth or this idea that Americans are superior to Europeans. This, uh, I don't know what the, what the term was. And like Obama made fun of it. Exceptionalism. Yeah. Thank you. Exceptionalism. And I would actually agree that for a time, the Americans who were here, they were exceptional because, you know, they had to leave Europe or they wanted to leave Europe. They, they uh, went across the Atlantic. They survived. They fought Indians. They allied with Indians. You know, it was difficult. So they were a bit more exceptional than some of the Europeans that stayed behind. But over time, that exceptionalism kind of died off and mellowed out. And one of the reasons why we thought we were so exceptional is because we had all these natural resources that we could just take. Right. And after the end of World War I, especially World War II, we're sitting in the catbird seat because the rest of the first world nations have just been bombed all to hell. And we've got all the rebuilding contracts. We've got all the manufacturing going. So part of that was we didn't have to take care of the details. We're exceptional. We can do whatever we want. Everything works out for us. And then as there are uh, racial problems coming up, it's like, eh, whatever. We don't need to pay attention to it. And um, there was a, there's a government commission in the 1960s looking at, okay, why, why do black neighborhoods um, have more crime? Uh, why, do they, why do their housing have a lower resale value? Why don't they do as well in test scores in schools? And then this commission, which was an all-white commission, said, ah, it's white people's fault. White people have to take responsibility for that. And nobody pushed back. They said, oh, yeah, okay, it's white people's fault. Now let's do the affirmative action. Let's do all this other type of crap. So all of these decisions, all these critical junctures were wasted over and over and over again. And now we can look around and see what we have now. And part of that was a tremendous failure of leadership so many times over and over. Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, Johnson, even some of the things that Reagan did, 
Uh, and then you, we, we have these winners since, you know, Clinton and Little Bush, uh, Obama, Biden. It's just, it's, it's a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it really, great. really was, but we, we share, we definitely share the same, uh, the, I guess the same vision of what America really could have been. It had this, it had this magnificent arc and it wasn't perfect by no means, but it had this magnificent arc. And really could have gone to this. It could have been a heaven on earth, and uh, cities completely re-engineered. You imagine the talent, the energy, the money. All of it was here to completely revolutionize and take Western civilization to a new level. Maybe take economy to a new level, governance to a new level, and it was all stolen. It was all robbed from us and all squandered on harmonizing diversity and uh, and everything else and getting blamed for having of course you're not going to be your best when you believe that you are from this uh, the, you know the spawn of the devil uh, rather than this exceptional uh, people that are destined to do great things uh, two very different outcomes there but we are we're out of time we're going to have to tap out brother so tell folks where they can find you how they can help and folks please if you're listening you can be involved by uh, contributing. You can be involved by attending a uh, class and you're just an adult. You want to attend, maybe not even learn. You're going to give feedback. You already know the material. Uh, you can participate by getting different uh, family members involved and say, hey, look, this is really something really neat. I'll I'll buy a class for you or I'll, I'll pay for this. I'll pay for that. Get involved uh, because we need this to grow. This is real. This is legit. This is about our people. This is if you were to read about another group of people that suddenly uh, really started to crystallize around an idea of who they were, you'd be reading about schools they set up and then you would be complaining about how, well, they get to set up schools. Well, you got a school. <laughs> you got a school right here. You got to participate. Where can they find you? How can they help? OK, a uh, couple ways you can find me on Gab at Brand Danger. Code name. Uh, also, at the bottom of every page on the website, there is the email contact at schoolofthewest.world, and I can respond to you there. Fantastic. Well, it's been, I, I share the enthusiasm. Mr. George and I are very, even more enthusiastic than we have been, and it's been something special. Uh, and uh, we're so happy to have you here. We'll have you back more often, and we want more folks to hear from you. Mr. George, your final thoughts and where folks can find you. Excuse me. I just said I again appreciate Brant the ambition and what your the resources that you're giving to families and yeah we look forward to hearing more as Jason was just saying everyone please uh, go check out what Brant is doing. I'm on thegreatorder.com. I'm a, a mere minstrel, a troubadour, um, and Jason and I have the AfterParty.tv, which catalogs this show and the Going Free shows as well. As I said, Brant's been on before. So like anyone, you can type in his name or you can type in a topic and see what comes up from the previous episodes. Yes, precisely, folks. It's a marvelous site. Share it. Bookmark it, theafterparty.tv. Share it uh, widely. We're growing this community and it's going to require effort from every single one of us. We're all going to pick up a part of the, a part of the reins and we're going to pull the sled of the community up the mountain. Uh, and it's going to require every single one of us. Everybody is special here. We have one final financial gift. It's from w another one of our true shining lights, the great slots, financially gifting $2 with, for me, what is a bit of a cryptic 
uh, message. He says, for that slacker, which slacker? I'm not sure, but that's me. That's me. Oh, okay, because you're the slacker. Okay. <laughs> it's being ironic. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Sloths, Noagil Clips, uh, Maki, uh, and thanks to everybody who participated in the live chat and everybody who will be showing up here for the first time watching in replay. Don't be afraid to speak up. We won't bite. We want to educate. We want you all to go far. We want you all to be clean. We want you all to, to we want you all to be in a position where we can redeem you to who you really are and uh, those lurking potentials that are inside of you. It's there. Make sure that if you have an opportunity to get in front of your children, your nieces, nephews, grandchildren, you have an opportunity to get in front of them and prevent some of this poisoning uh, that uh, they are getting right now every day of their lives. You can do that in a big way by getting them involved in School of the West. Uh, two more final thoughts, three more final thoughts. Tuesday, tomorrow, 7 p.m. is Jason Goes Political, my political show. Be there. And uh, we're going to be having fun. The next thing is if you heard anything over the course of this tap that contradicts something you have learned on CNN, MSNBC, or the government school system, then it obviously is false. So just ignore all of that, whatever that was. And uh, the last thing, the, the uh, very pertinent right now, is that the one and only for null, I just threw his link into the live stream. He's live right now. He just went live. And he'll be going for the next several hours playing awesome music. He'll be popping in and out. He has magnificent uh, visuals up there. Share that URL. Go over there. Sub to him. Share that uh, URL uh, wide and far and be a part of the conversation over there. People are just relaxing, having fun, talking about things going on in their lives. And other than that, it has been another marvelous uh, TAP episode. We always look forward and very excited uh, to these episodes, especially when we have heroes like Brand Danger on to join us. Uh, but uh, for me and uh, Mr. George, we look forward to seeing you all again next time.